Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. So it's almost two weeks that we've been witnessing what's been happening in Gaza and there's a somber mood uh, across Dubai and across the region with many countries going into three days of mourning. Uh, so uh, we really pray for immediate uh, ceasefire, halt and that humanitarian aid goes to the people of Gaza as soon as possible. You see a lot of uh, content and coverage of what's happening there across the Love and Channels, Love and Palestine, Love and Cairo, uh, Love and Cairo, Love and Baghdad, Love and Muscat, Doha. Uh, and in the UAE this weekend, uh, there will be a lot of, uh, you know, uh, events taking place for with Emirates Rest Crescent, with Tarahum, uh, for donations as well. So all that detail is on the Love in Dubai website. Uh, but there'll be, there have been PR events and uh, musical events cancelled or postponed at the moment as well, uh, as as people uh, naturally aren't, uh, you know, in the same frame of mind as they would be normally. Uh, moving towards this week's interview, it's a very fascinating one about the health sector, uh, combining investments as well. And uh, Dubai has been very busy this week with uh, the tech sector, with uh, Jitex Global. Jitex has grown from strength to strength year on year. Uh, I can't get over how big it's got in the last 10 years attending it. Uh, on Sunday, I attended the Jitex uh, North Star uh, section in Dubai Harbour. And of course, that's where uh, Jitex Jitex is taking place. Uh, we were Smashy Business were partner with Unipreneur, so we saw lots of interesting uh, youth ideas there as well. Uh, you know, check out the Smashy Business Instagram to see what's happening there. And I attended uh, the other Jitex, the one in the by World Trade Center yesterday, and uh, saw some really cool robots and some lots of fun things there as well. So. Uh, well done, everyone involved in Jitex. Uh, enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, we're joined with Vish Narain. He is the new executive chairman of TrueDoc. They are leading telemedicine provider, and he'll explain what that is, in the UAE. Who he also maintains his role as managing partner of Pulsar Capital, a regional private equity firm that recently acquired the company to accelerate growth and enhance its offerings. Good morning, Vish. Morning, Richard. Pleasure thank, to be here. And thank you. Pleasure is ours. Thank you for joining the show. So yeah, TrueDoc, explain it. Sure. So TrueDoc actually is one of the success stories of Dubai. Uh, it's been here for the last uh, 10 years and uh, it's the leading uh, digital health company uh, in the region. Uh, TrueDoc has operations in UAE, in Saudi, in Nigeria, Kenya, Pakistan, and South Africa. But the key business is here in the UAE, and uh, it's a company headquartered out of Dubai. Um, taking a step back and telling you what digital health is. Um, so digital health really is the ability to provide uh, primary care um, to patients 
uh, either online or in their homes. Uh, primary care is? Primary care is um, anything that you uh, do which is outside of the, the large hospital. So if you have a heart attack, it's called tertiary care, right? Where you go to the hospital, you're admitted, you're an inpatient. Uh, if you're managed outside of the hospital, uh, which is called outpatient care, yeah. uh, that is called primary care. So anything from a flu, cold, fever, could be chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension, etc. So all of the care that is not required to be treated inside the hospital is called primary care. Um, so digital health really is about enabling patients to get a more convenient service, just the way we have Amazon. Now we buy everything, whether it's food, whether it's clothes or anything else from our local Talabat or Amazon, etc. The same innovation is now coming to healthcare where you can talk to a doctor, you can get uh, a vaccine at home, you can get your medication delivered, you can uh, get a blood test at home, you have a physiotherapist that can come and help you at home. So getting uh, all kinds of medical services delivered to the comfort of your home or through the comfort of an online interaction through the phone is what is digital healthcare. And TrueDoc is the leading provider here in the UAE as well as in the few other countries that we operate in. Okay, fascinating. I get it. So it, it's kind of call out doctor, outpatient, um, both supplies and services. And does that mean that TrueDoc is a what we would call like a marketplace? Is it a connector between medical care centers uh, or pharmacies and the patient? Or is TrueDoc the actual provider itself? TrueDoc is the actual provider. So we have in-house doctors. Uh, we have more than uh, probably 100 uh, clinical staff across our operations, both doctors, nurses, care providers. Um, we have our own e-pharmacy. Uh, so we have an end-to-end -end service, which we manage ourselves. Okay. And do you have any uh, clinics and pharmacies yourself, or is this purely a digital? So, you know, like, is it bricks and mortar and website, or is it mainly the app where, so the full-time doctors are on the go all the time? So the, the doctors are actually uh, based in our offices in Business Bay and they do the consultations virtually. So it could be either an audio call, it could be a video call. So no, we don't have a physical presence. Uh, we do this virtually and that's the efficiency that we bring to the model because if you think about it, if um, you know my daughter has fever, uh, I would today need to drive 20 minutes to a clinic, park the car, sit in the waiting room, fill up a bunch of forms. Uh, the actual consult is only five to eight minutes, right? And then I get the prescription, I drive to a pharmacy, um, I wait while the pharmacy gets insurance approval for my prescription. Then I have to go to a lab to drop off the blood sample, right? So the whole process can take three to four hours. Uh, with this approach, uh, all I have to do is call 1-800-TRUE-DOC, you know, and, or go to the app and press uh, talk to a doctor. We are, we operate 24 seven um, and 365 days of the years, and we pick up 90% of the calls within 30 seconds. So you get instant access to a doctor online. And, you know, you can do the consultation, the consult is still the same. So within eight minutes, you've done the consult, we'll send the medication home, we'll send a nurse home to pick up your sample. And you can get the same experience. Uh, instead of spending four hours, you spent eight minutes, and it costs you the same. 
So it's a incredible convenience to the patient and it's actually cheaper for the insurance companies uh, because uh, the uh, of the efficiencies of doing this online is much more cost effective. So it's a win-win for the patient as well as for the insurance companies. And I think that's why the adoption of the service is picking up substantially. Explain that. So how is it a benefit for the insurance companies? How is it cheaper for them? Because um, if you go to a, a physical clinic, uh, they have a large setup, they have rent to pay, and therefore the cost for the doctor could be anywhere from 300 to 500 dirhams for a consultation. Right. And because we do it online, we don't have very high cost rents, infrastructure that we have to support. We are able to do it in a much more cost effective manner. So insurance companies often save more than 50 percent um, by using us versus using the traditional providers here in the market. OK. And and so just interesting, just on that thread, uh, the regulation and the insurance so it sounds like that your your licensing is very similar to a clinic. So the, there is a separate license in Dubai for a telehealth provider. So the DHA, which is the regulator, yeah. the Dubai Healthcare Authority, has a very um, extensive set of regulations around how to, uh, what are the norms around telehealth because uh, the doctors have to be trained in a particular way. The skills that a doctor has when managing telehealth uh, Online consultations are different from how what the skills are when you're doing a, a physical consultation because you have to build the trust with the patient without seeing the patient, right? So you're on the other side of a camera, often just a voice at the other end of a phone. So you have to be able to build the trust uh, with the patient. Uh, and so therefore, our doctors tend to be, and they're trained to be a little bit more extroverted uh, to be able to build a conversation with the patient to give them comfort that they are talking to a highly trained professional. Um, so there are strict regulations around uh, what a telehealth provider should have, including the um, the mobile connectivity, the uh, speed of the internet connection, the software that we use, the the data privacy, how are your records kept, how are they shared. So all those um, rules are different for a telehealth provider. And we, of course, have the the license. In fact, we were the first ones to get the telehealth license here in the UAE. Very good. And uh, the connection with the insurance companies, are, are you connected uh, with a wide range of providers? Yes, we work with uh, pretty much all of the insurance companies. Uh, we probably have worked with 70% of all the insurance companies here in the UAE. And we manage... Uh, more than a million lives um, here in the UAE, so and two million globally. So it's a uh, uh, it's the largest by far uh, in the UAE, and we manage a large number, and we are growing that number, you know, from one million to a much bigger number in the next few years. Brilliant. And uh, what's the uh, percentage, or what's the ratio between uh, telecalls consultancy and call out uh, to visit people in their homes? So by and large, most of the calls are virtual. Uh, we do have nurses on staff that will go uh, visit or we have our pharmacy operations where we deliver the prescriptions. Uh, but typically for every 100 uh, consults, we'll have 75 prescriptions. So those are all delivered at, at the home. 
but uh, most of the doctor consultations are all online. Okay. And um, so uh, do you think that the consultancy can work online? Because, you know, people's history of going to a GP, uh, there is, there is, you know, the heart check, the pulse, there's, there's things that doctors do. There's yeah. instruments that doctors have. Yeah. Uh, you can tell them not very medical, but like, you know, there, there's obviously temperature, there's uh, blood pressure, there's things like this that you can't necessarily do over a video call, or can you? That's a great question, Richard. And I think um, there's a lot of innovation that has occurred over the last two, three years and will continue to occur over the next few years, um, which allows you to measure all the basic readings that a GP does. Uh, with your watch, um, or through a camera, right? So there's a lot of new interesting technology. So the Apple Watch now, of course, measures your heartbeat. Uh, there's a new Huawei watch that measures your blood pressure. So they have an expandable strap. It's very similar to this. So like you have your blood pressure armband, they, they have an inflatable strap. So the strap inflates and it gets a very accurate reading of your blood pressure. Wow. Um, there is Apple is coming out with a new watch which will do glucose uh, blood sugar measurement, uh, which is going to be optical in nature. So no need to prick yourself. It'll be just again done through your watch. Um, you can do an ECG uh, again through your wearable. Um, so actually, the uh, what we are able to track is much much more than what a traditional GP does because you go at 11 a.m. to a GP's office, he's measuring your blood pressure, temperature at that point. Uh, we are able to measure the, the readings 24 seven. So the doctor is able to get a better sense of what is your temperature um, at 6 a.m., at 10 a.m., at 2 p.m. because a lot of the viral conditions, the type of uh, uh, condition that you have, the temperature ranges changes. So if you have an evening spike in the temperature, the, the prognosis may be different, uh, whether you have a more uniform temperature across uh, the, the full day. So with variable technologies, the our doctors are able to measure and track the same parameters and possibly more um, across a wider period of time. So, and they're able to therefore make better informed decisions. So over a period of time, I think the traditional GP is uh, not going to be as uh, important. And I think all of these services can be provided online. So if you look at a parallel, say in the online retail world, uh, the Amazon has disrupted, I would say a big chunk of the malls in the US, right? Half these malls are empty because there is no need to have so many different retailers because it can all be done online. And I think the same thing will happen in the uh, healthcare world where the traditional GP is gonna get disrupted by digital health. Of course, for tertiary care, right? If you, if you have a heart attack, if you need an operation, of course you need a hospital. Uh, but uh, for primary care conditions, uh, this is the disruption that's happening. And I think a lot of the GP offices will probably get converted to more specialist offices. Right? So they may be need, maybe you need dermatology, maybe you need dentistry. These are things that can't be done online. You need a tooth pulled out, you need a tooth pulled out, right? So uh, <laughs> no there are certain- at, at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe, you know, there are some innovations <laughs> happening there. Maybe in the future, yeah. a dentist chair can come to your home. But yeah. uh, for now- you know, uh, no, there are be. some conditions that will be managed in a specialist clinic, but a lot of the, the basic 
uh, primary care functions can be all managed online or at home. Brilliant, good to know. Uh, but just just a little bit more about TrueDoc before we sort of talk at the wider sector. Uh, how did it start? Uh, and we can get to kind of how you came into it, but what was their origin story? And I'm curious about, you know, to get this up and running because there's obviously a lot of tech and there's a lot, you know, having what you mentioned about privacy as well. So yeah, what can you tell us the backstory? Absolutely. So TrueDoc was founded about uh, 10 years ago. It was founded by an American gentleman who moved to Dubai from the U.S. And he had uh, pioneered this approach in the U.S. And he was invited by uh, the DHA to come and set it up here. So Dubai was way ahead of its time in adoption of this technology for this region. So TrueDoc actually helped shape the regulations around uh, digital health that I was talking about earlier. We helped shape the policy, which is now adopted by the DHA. And it was the first telehealth provider here in the region. And over the last 10 years, it has grown from zero customers to more than a million now, right? So is that a million users or is that, uh, yeah, a million people yes. have used the app? million people are subscribed, are paying subscribers. There's a the, subscription fee? There is a subscription fee, which is paid by the insurance company. So the insurance company, because as I mentioned earlier, they save uh, save money on uh, every consultation. They are the ones who provide this as a service. So if you have a Daman insurance or Cigna insurance, they um, work with TrueDoc to say, okay, all our patient base will get covered and will have the ability to make a digital health or a telehealth call. Okay, so they're telling people uh, that they can use it in this way. Absolutely. And uh so the patient doesn't. So the patient doesn't have a subscription, but the patient goes on. Uh, is it like I, 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 I know I'm a subscriber, or I, I log yes. on, I become a subscriber, non-paid, and then I can use that service whenever I need to. Exactly. So when you sign up for your insurance plan, you would be told that you have a subscription to TrueDoc, and you can call TrueDoc anytime. So the first time the patient calls, we take your Emirates ID details. We register you in the system. The doctor will take your history. Um, but uh, once the history is there, then you know we every subsequent call, all your records are maintained within the app. So the patient can see all the information, the prescriptions, the blood tests, all of that there is in one app, uh, which you can access at any point. And it's a phone call or it's via the app? So it could be, you could reach us in any way. So you could make a phone call by calling 800-TRUE-ROCK. You can go to the app and do a audio or video uh, a call, which is the TrueDoc app, which is available on both Android and Apple. Or you can go to your insurance company's app um, and then say, okay, I want to talk to a doctor and then it'll get connected to us. So you can access us anywhere you want. And you can pay via the app. You can pay via the app. Uh, generally, the uh, patient doesn't have to pay because the insurance company has had paid on your behalf. So uh, you, of course, have to pay for your medication. You have to pay for your blood tests, which are, you know, the copay that is associated with it, you have to pay. But uh, And you can pay that through the app. Uh, but the, the consult itself generally is included as a part of your insurance plan. Yeah. And you mentioned that the gentleman was invited over by DHA. Was it a joint venture or was it, a, a, you know, a, a, a something that he set up independent? No, it was independently set up. Uh, the DHA, of course, uh, was very instrumental in um, uh, helping that happen. Um, and TrueDoc actually helped DHA set up its own telehealth um, facilities. So, uh, but no, it was not a it was not a joint venture. It was uh, 
uh, independently owned. And, and, where, and at what point did you and Pulsar Capital get involved? It's an interesting story. So my background is I've been in the healthcare space for about 20 years. Um, I've looked at um, and invested in and run various different types of healthcare businesses from um, multi-specialty hospitals, cancer care clinics, IVF clinics, mother and child hospitals, diagnostic labs, uh, genetic pharma companies. So having uh, seen and experienced a wide variety of healthcare companies in India, in Sri Lanka, in Europe, in the US, um, uh, I felt that this region was a few years behind some of the innovations that are happening around the world. And when we came here, uh, we moved to Dubai about four years ago um, and had a look at some of the digital health players around the region um, in Saudi Arabia, in Egypt, in the UAE and found that TrueDoc was one of the leading players in the space. So made an investment in the company in um, last year in 2022. And then we took a 100% stake uh, in the business uh, in um, May of this year. So the gentleman who started it is 70 years old and he's retired and moved back to the US to be with his grandchildren. And uh, so, you know, basically have young legs take this company forward and take his vision forward. Well, that's a great story that what he did between he was 60 and 70, pretty cool. We don't often hear the digital pioneers doing it at that age. So well done to him. And just a few things there. So when you say we moved, uh, is that is that Pulsar moved? or the, is it, yeah. Yes, I set up Pulsar Capital about three years ago. Uh, I was based in India before this and I was running a large private equity fund in India. Um, but uh, we moved here just before COVID and uh, set up Pulsar Capital really to look at interesting, invest in interesting technologies, whether it's in health tech, fintech, climate tech, and really advance uh, the technology businesses here in the region. So we do investments which are either uh, based in the Middle East or could be based in India, but is looking to expand into the Middle East. So it's a more of a crossover fund, which fosters ties between India and the Middle East, bring a lot of interesting ideas, technologies, entrepreneurs to move here to the Middle East and really grow the digital ecosystem uh, for a variety of companies in the Middle East. So there's a lot of potential. Dubai, of course, is now at the center of a uh, uh, lot of very interesting um, advances. Uh, Saudi Arabia is growing very well. There's a lot of uh, excitement and optimism about what's happening in Saudi Arabia, both economically, but also culturally. Uh, it's a very young country. Average age is only 28. And the cultural changes, social changes that have occurred over the last four or five years have really energized a very young and dynamic country to change and grow. Um, so I think the entire GCC region uh, I think has a lot of potential. And I think unlike the rest of the world, which is suffering from high inflation, uh, slowdown in growth, this region um, is completely different because with oil at $100, the uh, region is actually growing faster than you know most parts of the world. So we are very excited to be here. And I think uh, the future of uh, Dubai, as well as you know some of the other countries in the region is very bright. Very good. And uh, did you expect to be as hands-on as you are now on this podcast? Or, you know, for people listening, generally private equity can be a little bit more hands-on than 
pure investors, right? So is that something that you naturally expect it to be with Pulsar Capital? Yes, absolutely. That's the thesis of Pulsar Capital, which is we are hands-on investors. Uh, we are uh, we genuinely believe that value is created by people, not by capital. Uh, capital is an enabler, but eventually people drive value. And, uh, you know, we uh, work with great teams, great people to build and create value. And that is the thesis of Pulsar. Typically, an average private equity fund would invest in maybe 20, 25 businesses. Uh, but we have a very concentrated portfolio. We invest in only three to five businesses because we want to spend the time, the, the ability, the effort to help these businesses reach its full potential. So um, we have a different approach. Uh, we like... Um, uh, uh, Warren Buffett, who is, of course, uh, my idol. Um, if you look at his portfolio and he manages more than $400 billion, six companies account for 77% of the, the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio. So um, he's proven over the last many, many, many years that if you make the right bets and have the right conviction and back the companies for a long period of time, you don't need to invest in 100 businesses, you can invest in six, but still uh, have a very uh, uh, outsized returns as he's proven uh, for a long period of time, which is our philosophy, which is let's pick businesses which have a long-term potential like digital health, like climate, like uh, fintech, like e-commerce. These are all um, technologies and innovations that are here to stay and are going to really improve the lives of millions of people. If you back the right company and the right leadership with the right team, this these companies can continue to grow for a very long period of time. So that's our vision, that's our philosophy, and uh, that's the reason we set up Pulsar Capital. That's an interesting comparison. And yeah, very much Warren Buffett would pick good leaders, and but but it, it's not necessarily the same. And in, are interesting to get your view on this because. What Berkshire Hathaway does is some of the companies, most of the companies are listed and they like the dividends, uh, but they don't necessarily manage hands-on and they don't look for an exit per se. But typically with private equity, you mentioned the word fund, it's more short term, the, the thinking from a five, seven, 10 year horizon, and they are more hands-on and the companies aren't usually public. So does the comparison have... Uh, yeah, so there are similarities and there are differences. So the similarities are that our approach is long term. And, uh, you know, while um, these companies are smaller than a typical Berkshire Hathaway, which is Apple, if you remember back in the day when he started Berkshire, he started with essentially an insurance company. Right. So it started with um, a gotcha. textile company, started with an insurance company, um, and they were back in the day in the 60s, they were small companies, right? Now he manages, of course, 400 billion. He can't, doesn't have time to invest in smaller companies. But the philosophy is the same, which is invest in uh, sustainable, good quality companies. The companies we invest, is, invest in are generally profitable. Just because you're a tech company doesn't mean that you have to be unprofitable. And Shudak uh, was profitable. Absolutely. It, when we invested in it, it wasn't. But in the last six months, we've it's profitable now. It's generating cash flow. Um, the other companies we have are profitable. So our, our belief is that a good business model uh, should be profitable. Um, just because the company is growing fast and is tech enabled doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be unprofitable. And if you see whether it's Apple or Google or Facebook, 
um, all these companies are market leaders in in their domain and they are hugely profitable yeah. so um, i think over the last 3 4 years there's been that belief in the venture capital industry that it's okay for companies to be unprofitable for a very long period of time um but i have a different view uh, i believe that often the um the underlying business model often may not be robust enough right for uh, for uh, these companies to be funded right and if they are robust enough they should be profitable relatively quickly because if there's demand for your service as there is for ours and for some of the other companies we've invested in the customer should want to pay for it and if the customer doesn't want to pay for it the companies have to introspect and see uh, you know is there a issue with the business model is there an issue with the value uh, the value proposition right and i think what's happened in the last year or so across the world i think there's a lot of that introspection happening to say not all of these companies that got started over the last 4 5 years necessarily um had the right business model just because there was so much capital available the lot of the companies got funded but i think the vcs and the investors now at the board meetings are now really uh pushing the entrepreneurs to say guys let's uh you know do a, a zero base uh, approach and let's look at look at it afresh and see what are we doing right what are we doing doing wrong and while there's been a lot of innovation and a lot of these companies will survive do well but there will be some others that may have um benefited from some of the excess capital that has come into the tech industry and may not make it interesting uh, so it's really fascinating so it was it wasn't profitable or it might have been in and out over the years what are the tangible things that that you did within a year to make it profitable was it very, when you were looking through this as a sort of initial investment was it very clear to you that it was on the right track and it just needed a few tweaks or did you make wholesale changes so we did three things number one um the model was profitable at the gross margin level right so we knew that we were making money on every consultation uh, which is very very important but the indirect costs which is the number of people supporting the business was very high right so we were able to reduce the indirect costs uh substantially and therefore make it profitable so when we did look at it you know the gross margin was very attractive and that's that's what gave us the confidence that if we get the right cost structure for the company we would be able to make it profitable so that is number one number two we expanded the range of services so when we invested it was just doing teleconsults it was just a doctor on the other end of the phone uh, now we are doing we've started four more verticals one is the e-pharmacy which is the delivery of the medication the diagnostics and the the lab tests the home health services as well as the chronic disease management right which is the management of long term diseases like diabetes hypertension etc and so we've added these four verticals which increases the revenue of uh, what we are able to service so the same set of million Costs, yeah. lives now instead of earning $10 a patient now we can earn have the potential to $100 because now we're doing so many different things with the same customer base it's very interesting um so segueing a little bit so when you look at that uh, that uh with pulsar capital uh do, are you using your own m&a team or do you have do you outsource that part uh do you do that exercise yourself we do it ourselves we do it ourselves uh, that's part of the 
you know, uh, differentiation that we have. We have a, you know, having looked at, evaluated, Richard, probably 3,000 businesses over the last 15 years. There's a sense of pattern recognition that comes from uh, uh, unearthing the, the the diamond in the rough, mm. right? So there is a, uh, it's not rocket science, but, you know, having met with thousands of entrepreneurs, with ton of, uh, you know, business models, you tend to figure out, you know, what, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, right? And that's our secret sauce, so to speak, right? Where the, the companies that we do choose uh, have a much higher success rate and much higher probability of growing and becoming unicorns uh, than the ones that we choose not to invest in. Interesting. And operationally then, uh, how does that work? Because, you know, do you still have, in your four or five companies, are there still a management team that, that would assume the sort of day-to-day -day operations? And the, and the role of executive chairman is, is what exactly? Exactly. So good question. Uh, so most companies would have a full management team. We, of course, uh, help augment the team. Uh, so in TrueDoc as well, we've um, got in a great CTO, a, a great uh, COO, um, a new CFO. So the top team has, um, you know, got uh, enhanced and we've got some really good solid uh, people that I've worked with before uh, into, the, into the company. But my role as the executive chairman is to be the conductor, so to speak. Um, you know, still have the the violins and the 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 pianist and the uh, the bass and you know the the whole orchestra still has to do what they what they do. But my role as the executive chairman is to set the strategies, to set the direction, and uh, most importantly, set the culture of the company so that we can achieve our full potential. And and do you, as Pulsar, do you let these companies like TrueDoc, you know, run with their own licenses, their own culture, their own HR, their own systems, or do you centralize things? No, we we let every company is different, right? And I think uh, you know, maybe different for the sector, maybe different for that particular set of people. So uh, you know, the there is a higher level uh, uh, vision around how we should, how these companies should be, which is uh, nimble, profitable, um, you know, high energy, tech enabled, etc. But the subcultures within some of these companies often depend on the teams, right? So a company based in Bangalore may be different from a company based in Dubai. Um, so, no, we don't, uh, you know, uh, th there is no overarching culture that we impose, but it's an organic uh, organic uh, phenomena and culture also changes. A company which is which has fifty people will be very different. The same company will be different when it has two fifty people. So there is some evolution that happens in some of these companies as they grow. Uh, but uh, that's the fun part of uh, being an investor and making sure that it's all within the same overall. Uh, uh, culture of uh, how we want to build these businesses. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. So talk a little bit about uh, the health sector and what, you know, you mentioned you have over 20 years experience in that. And um, I know it's difficult to talk about health tech uh, as well because there's so much going on. But uh, where, where are we today in, in, in this year? Like wh where are things, where do things stand? So frankly, Richard, healthcare is broken pretty much in 
most countries in the world, right? I mean, the most visible ones, of course, being the US or looking at the UK. A um, uh, lot of the countries have government-funded healthcare, um, like the NHS in the UK. Um, and there has been um, long waiting lists, long lines, uh, very hard to get good quality care uh, at an affordable price. And uh, therefore, globally, the cost of healthcare is rising as it is rising here in the region. So on average, six to 9% increase in the cost of healthcare year on year over the last 10 years. And wow. over a period of time, um, the employers who typically pick up the cost of the healthcare, uh, Dubai has or UAE has 100% health insurance coverage, right? So when you get a visa here, you have to have health insurance, otherwise you're not allowed to uh, live in this country. Uh, as a result, the employer picks up the rising costs of healthcare. And the rising costs of healthcare uh, are happening around the world. Um, and there's been a challenge to figure out how do we bring it down. There was a recent strike in the US. Uh, there's been many strikes in the UK um, because the caregivers, the nurses, the, the doctors, they all want to get paid more. Um, so the health administrators are struggling to say, how do we maintain the quality and the efficiency and the speed of access of healthcare facilities, yet uh, maintain or reduce costs, right? Um, and the only solution, in my view, is technology. Uh, I don't think there is, there is no other magic bullet here where, you know, this can be solved by, you know, giving raises to the NHS nurses or giving raises to all the other, uh, you know, players around the healthcare system. So uh, if we can find a more efficient way to manage the healthcare system can only be done by technology. If you, and there are many parallels in, you know, other sectors. If you look at fintech, if you look at banks, uh, why do we need bank branches? Right, it's a expensive infrastructure. You have to pay rent. You have to have tellers. You have to have all the uh, costs and headaches, uh, administrative headaches of managing multiple branches when the branch can be sitting as an app on your phone. Right? And in many parts of the world, including Dubai, you can do most of your transfers, your payroll, your uh, paying for bills, all of that can be done online. So banks have transformed sub substantially over the last 10, 15 years where they are now shutting down branches and they're moving consumers like us to really interact digitally. And that has caused them to be uh, to remain profitable. Right? And the same thing needs to happen in the healthcare space, where how can we use technology better to reduce the cost of healthcare and yet make it actually a more convenient process for the patient? Um, I, you know, you would agree that rather than going to the branch and depositing a check, if I can make a transfer to you digitally, it takes me 30 seconds versus doing it the old way, right? So, um, the ability for technology to fundamentally shift the paradigm around how services can be consumed um, has the ability to really transform the healthcare system. And I think countries that adopt the, these technologies faster than others will be able to truly benefit from it. And uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. I come from India. You know, uh, 20 years ago, India had only 30 million 
telephone lines. They were all copper lines. They were all landlines. Um, and um, in a country of 1.2 billion people, in a, yeah. in a country of now 1.4 billion people, right? and <laughs> it, it, there used to be a waiting list to get a telephone line. And I remember, you know, in the in the 90s, you had to call somebody who who knew a guy who knew a guy to get your phone line, right? And um, it was a scarce commodity. And then the mobile revolution came, and now uh, uh, India has about 95 percent. Um, penetration. penetration, right? So there's more than a billion mobile connections, right? And we still have only 30 million landlines, right? Mm -hmm. So India leapfrogged the entire, uh, you know, generation of, say, the US or Europe setting up copper lines across the country. And because they were able to leapfrog that using technology, now, you know, essentially you have the same or probably better uh, mobile infrastructure than you know, other parts of the world. And it's probably the cheapest mobile service that you can have anywhere in the world. Data is the cheapest in India than it is, you know, in pretty much any other country. Good, interesting point. And I think that, you know, points to why it's an emerging economy and the economy is growing. However, uh, the health sector is a bit different to say telco and finance because it's not all about efficiencies. And you alluded to a few points earlier about data and wearables and things like that. Uh, you know, it sounds a bit futuristic, but how accurate are things nowadays? How, are we are we having more data that uh, that helps us, uh, you know, predictive analytics that can uh, uh, give us more intel on diseases before they happen, or uh, more accurate about whether I need an operation or not? Is that today, or is that in the future? I think it's today and in the future. I think we're getting very smart about. Um, Firstly, managing the diseases, right? The first first point is, yes, you collect all this data, but what are we going to do about it, right? So the, the watch is collecting incredible amount of data every day about how you sleep, how you eat, what you, how many steps you walk. Um, and uh, we are gathering this data and using AI, I think we are able to do a, a lot more um, about how to manage those conditions, right? So I'll give you another parallel. A few years ago in the US, um, there were insurance companies that started tracking through a technology called telemetry, which basically sees how fast you drive. Um, you know, are you in a in a 60 kilometer per hour uh, speed limit? Are you driving, driving at 90? How fast you brake, how fast you accelerate? So on the basis of your driving behavior, they were able to actually predict how likely you were have you were to have an accident, and mm. therefore your insurance rates changed on the basis of your driving behavior. Right? Right. And the same technology is now coming to the healthcare world, where on the basis of what I eat, how much I exercise, how much I sleep, um, insurance companies are able to predict uh, how likely I am to get a lifestyle-related chronic disease. Right. So um, it's still it's still in various phases of evolution. And there is, you're right, there is a uh, regulatory component to it because it's not, uh, there are human beings whose health sometimes are not always in their hands, right? You may get cancer because of a variety of reasons. Uh, so it's much more complex, but the direction is very much in terms of using technology to a monitor all the bodily functions. And mm -hmm. I think over the next five, six years, frankly, there's going to be sensors that 
you know, measure your every aspect of uh, how we, you know, how the body functions, which is, of course, great for the doctor because, you know, A, they are able to track it, but more importantly, they can even predict um, how likely you are to have, uh, you know, a heart attack or a kidney failure or any other uh you know, uh, serious disease. Interesting. And is true doc your sort of best for that sector? Or do you, do you envisage having more and more investments and more and more, uh, different opportunities? Do you think the opportunity is wide or have you got the right product now? Uh, I think a bit of both. Uh, so we do have the right, um, back the right horse. I think we've got the right company. Uh, however, we are in the process of making a few acquisitions. So one of the acquisitions that we are about to consummate is in the chronic disease management space. It's a market leading company, uh, which is working in Europe as well as Asia um, to treat um, and manage uh, chronic diseases better. So they track everything from, as I mentioned, from uh, your all the variable data. Um, they have behavioral scientists because at the end of the day, treating chronic diseases, a lot of it is about behavior change. It's not necessarily about your medication. Of course, the medication is supportive, but uh, it's really about changing behaviors in terms of uh, exercise, in terms of diet, in terms of sleep, in terms of stress. So all of those things are managed by this technology and it helps patients to live a more fulfilling, happier life by making changes in their behavior. Uh, and that causes, uh, has a ripple effect and then says, basically, you then using this technology, you take less insulin, less medication, you are a more energetic uh, person, you're a better father. So people experience a lot of changes, positive changes hmm. to their lifestyle and to their mental health. Um, as a result of this. So that's a company that we're looking to acquire shortly. But we'll, we'll be looking at uh, some other companies in the mental health space, in the sexual wellness space, in, um, in, a, in the home health space, where there are a lot of new ideas and innovations that are happening. So we'll use this as the platform to get the best of what the world has to offer here in Dubai and the Middle East. That's a lot of different spaces. <laughs> and you know, uh, so TrueDoc, uh, I think you mentioned KSA UAE and c three countries in Africa. Correct. What's the, the roadmap, uh, you know, how, how, and you personally, Rish, how optimistic uh, are you about uh, the GCC in general? And do you see TrueDoc expanding in the region? Uh, we do. We do. We are very excited about the opportunity in the GCC. As I mentioned earlier, GCC is that that uh, inflection point where, um, uh, in a in an environment where a lot of countries are facing variety of either demographic issues or inflation issues, um, UAE is in an enviable spot where uh, it's a young population, it's a dynamic population, countries, because of the um, oil and gas uh, economy, has a lot of capital surpluses, right? All these countries have huge capital surpluses. They have a lot of money to invest in building their infrastructure. Um, so I, I think um, the Middle East can be the new Europe. Uh, and that's the vision for uh, what uh, Mohammed bin Salman has been saying, which is, you know, and you've seen some of these giga projects like Neom and others that we're building absolutely new futuristic cities from scratch, mm. right? And if you look at, go to Beijing, Shanghai, Mumbai, Bangalore, these are old cities and there are constraints around 
how much those cities can change because there are 20 million people living in those cities already. Uh, so it's not that easy to build a metro. It's not that easy to build uh, new infrastructure without disrupting what's already there. Mm. But in, in the Middle East, you know, I don't know how long you've been here in Dubai, but Dubai 20 years ago is completely different from what it is today. And it changes very, very quickly. And the same thing is happening in a lot of these large giga cities where absolutely new cities are being set up in a very futuristic way with technology driving uh, and improving the lives of citizens there. So I'm personally very excited to be here. I think we are at the forefront of uh, defining how urban societies should live uh, in a happy and balanced way. Mm. Um, so I, I think it's the next 10, 15 years are going to be an amazing uh, run for the Middle East. And I think we're all privileged to be here. So TrueDoc is born in Dubai, it's growing. And when the line in Neom is finished, there'll be no outpatient clinics. Everyone will be on TrueDoc. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing the story. It's fascinating. Appreciate your time this morning and we'll follow TrueDoc in the future. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Okay, fascinating conversation there with Vish and what they're doing uh, with health tech. Uh, I'll definitely check out TrueDoc. I haven't actually used it myself and I'll make sure that our team have knowledge of it as part of their insurance. Uh, thank you, as always, to our producer, Ali Khalil, but introducing our new producer, uh, Hamid Hesham. So he joins us from our Cairo office and he starts next week and he's already been getting up to speed with Dubai Works. Uh, business podcast and uh, of course you can watch this on smashy.tv on the streaming service apps tv apps mobile apps and all that uh, we have now we now have uh, basketball as well so the local UAE league for basketball on top of futsal volleyball and handball if you're into sport uh, but uh, most of you will be listening to this on audio uh, so if you're listening on Langami Podio uh, where we host it from uh, Apple uh, Spotify, and you can check out all the articles about these episodes on the Love and Dubai website, or uh, or you can check out Smashy Business Instagram. Uh, we'll be back next week, as always, uh, at 11 a.m. on Fridays, live, and it'll be out on Friday afternoon. This was a Smashy Business uh, podcast uh, uh, production as part of the Augustus Media Podcast Network. <laughs>